You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode's guest is Dave Navarro, Senior Director of Data Science for Harmony Health IT, a data management and lifecycle solutions firm. Dave joins the Dish on Health IT host, Ken Kleinberg, and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, to talk about 21st century cures and the change in definition of EHI, critical components of data lifecycle plans to purge, archive, or transition data to new platforms, and how to marry data in various formats and versions of CCDA and FHIR and other standards. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at pocp.com or tweeting us at pocphit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT leaders and trailblazers to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants, We work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as an independent and trusted party. I'm Ken Kleinberg, Innovation Lead here at POCP, and I'll be your host on this episode. I'm joined by my colleague, Jocelyn Keegan, Payer Practice Lead here at POCP and the Program Manager of the HL7 DaVinci Project. We're excited to welcome our guest, Dave Navarro, Senior Director of Data Science, Harmony Health IT, a data management and life cycle solutions firm. We'll be talking with Dave today about 21st century cures and the change in definition of EHI, critical components of plans to purge, archive, or transition data to new platforms, and how to marry data in various formats and versions of CCDA and FHIR. Before we get to our guest, I'd like to have Jocelyn briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's looking forward to learning from today's podcast guest. Joss? Awesome. Glad to be here and actually super excited to talk to Dave. We were in our prep sessions discussing how our worlds between the three of us have not collided until now. I'm excited to hear from the Harmony team and the work that they're doing. I am, uh, as Ken mentioned, our pair practice lead. I spend my days basically sort of at the intersection of interoperability, prior authorizations, where tech standards and product strategy come together in my day-to-day consulting work, as well as in the leadership role on DaVinci. I really love the idea of figuring out sort of what is working well and how do we do more of it and where do we need to continue and grow. Um, you know, I'm a product manager by training, and I think that this idea of incremental improvement is really important. So excited to uh, talk to Dave today and, and hear about sort of the work they've been doing around, you know, really capturing sort of the historical record of patients and making that data more usable if we think about sort of the evolution that we're going on and interoperability becoming real in the industry today. All right, thanks, Joss. Uh, now let's greet our guest, Dave Navarro, Senior Director of Data Science, Harmony Health IT. Dave, would you briefly introduce yourself? Give us a little bit of your professional background and your journey to Harmony Health IT. Uh, sure. Thanks for the introduction, Ken, and nice to meet you, Jocelyn. Um, so, uh, as mentioned before, I, I am the Senior Director of Data Science here at Harmony Health IT. I started my career about 22 years ago in the health IT world, so it's been a while. Um, started off by configuring EHRs, building uh, clinical integrations for financial systems and, and clinical systems for Cerner Corporation, 
early on, just a lot of exposure to uh, different data formats, fixed link files, et cetera, HL7, CDA, all of that kind of good stuff. So took that experience and I've been spending the last Oh, 17 plus years in the health information exchange world. Probably call me crazy, but um, I guess I am if I spent that long in the health information exchange world. So implementing all those good things, um, uh, IAT profiles, again, HL7, all of that kind of good stuff. Things that come along with health information exchange, such as master patient index and, and, and all of that good stuff. And then I landed here at Harmony to uh, really work on the interoperability piece for legacy data and the legacy data solutions that we're providing here. All right. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Well, before we jump into the deep end of our topics, could you tell us a little bit more about the work that Harmony Health is doing? Oh, sure. Uh, So we're all about taking uh, care of the client's legacy data needs. Uh, So what is legacy data? You may ask yourself that. Well, it's really all the information that's that's stored in a soon-to-become-obsolete system is really what we see here, either because the client's moving away from that system or the system's being sunsetted or a variety of different reasons. So uh, we need to get that data. uh, They need to get that data extracted and and stored in a place that makes sense, that they can manage that data, they can view that data, and then make clinical decisions on it. So our solution for that is what we call the health data archiver solution, where where clients can go in and take a look at that data. Uh, We provide uh, the extraction services. So if you've got a legacy data system, if if you hand over your relational database, or if you hand us flat files, we can extract that data and, and put it into our repository. We also take that data and, and do some migration services. So there may be some of that data that you actually want moved over to your go forward system. We've got a process where we change that to an HL7 uh, CCD message or, and, and we ship it along uh, to the client uh, so they can post it in their system. We also have some AR wind down services. We've got a product called AR Manager. So when you're looking to sunset that system, can we take those claims and payments and keep track of those for you? So. All right. So let's start uh, out by talking about 21st century cures, uh, you know, in the, the history of health IT with HIPAA, with ICD-10, with meaningful use. This is a big one. And it's having some far reaching impacts across the industry related to interoperability and specifically this uh, topic of information blocking. So could you tell us a little bit about how you view uh, these new 21st century cure regulations, the positives and the negatives? Uh, sure. So the 21st Century Secures Act, um, I'll be honest, I haven't read the entire thing because it deals it deals with a lot of stuff. But what I have been focused on is the interoperability provisions. So that's what we're probably talking about here today. And we're really keyed in on, on what that's doing for us. I think the 21st Century Secures Act is a really good thing. I mean, it was signed back in 2016, I believe. So, I mean, we're just now seeing the, the fruits of that labor come, come to fruition. So I think it's a good thing in the way that it's actually started pushing the industry. Hey, let's go ahead and adopt content standards such as USCDI and let's adopt uh, transmission standards. Still talking about the HL7 CDA, but we're also moving on to fire. So it's really pushed the industry to adopt you know, certified health information technology, which would uh, be able to exchange data via FHIR and really standardize that data exchange process. So overall, I, I think it's a good thing. I think most people are excited about it. Uh, there's a lot in it. So 
maybe they don't understand everything and we have to go back and read it several times. But, you know, it may take several times to, to, to read through. But the provisions for interoperability, I think, are really good. There's also the data blocking provision, which we all heard of. Nobody wants to be a data blocker. So how do we how do we open up that data stream and, and make data available where EHRs and ultimately patients can view, uh, view the data and not be blocked from seeing their own clinical data? Yeah, well, we, we talk about the industry as a whole and 21st century cures as a positive, although there are so many stakeholders in healthcare, they may not all see it that way. What are your views on how this affects various stakeholders? And is there a particular perspective you wish that everybody could get around so that we didn't see this as a zero-sum game, that there was actually a lot more to gain? Um, yeah, I think the industry, if, if we can get around, you know, where I started with the 21st Century's Cures Act, I automatically saw fire. So um, fire is a little bit scary. We've all been trying to get through HL7 CDA, and we're still working on HL7 version two. What I would say is, is let's start with fire. Start with that specification, because I know that we've looked at other specifications in the past, like HL7 CDA, kind of hard to figure out what it's talking about. The FHIR specification and the implementation guide for uh, the U.S. core data set is a really good specification. It's put together well. It's on the um, it, it's published well. There's links. You can actually look at that specification after looking at it for about an hour. You can pretty much figure out terminologies that's being used, um, implementation methodologies. Um, just the structure of the data. So um, if you take a look at that specification and then you compare it to how you're storing data or how data is stored in your system, you know, it's it's not an architecture guide, but it can really be used to, to help the architecture of the system, to help you make decisions when you start um, when, when you start archiving data or when you start take, uh, storing data in any method. I would really take a look at that because it, it really builds on all the work we've done from HL7 version 2, HL7 CDA, HL7 version 3, all of that. It, it really builds on all those lessons learned and some of the things that we may not have liked about those previous specifications, a lot of those things are fixed. Um, so just looking at that specification gets you in the mindset of what type of data you, you should be, number one, exchanging, but how that data should be stored. Uh, let's bring Jocelyn into the conversation, uh, especially around uh, how 21st century cures might uh, be different for payers and providers. Joss, you've been involved with uh, DaVinci for uh, so long now as program manager. What are you seeing in your day-to-day uh, with DaVinci and how payers and providers are reacting to these regs? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think that everything that Dave's saying is so incredibly important. And I think that when we look at sort of what's happening around 21st century cures, you know, we've got this upcoming deadline that's happening with EI for the beginning of October. And I do think that as much as folks are sort of gearing up, making their plans, getting ready to transform, we're seeing a little bit of indecision in the industry of what does it mean to meet that October deadline versus what I think we're all focused on, which is end of year you know, all of the certified HIT vendors really moving up to that USCDI 3 and Fire R4 capabilities. You know, I think that's sort of the next logical step. And there's some confusion from an implementation community perspective about how that's going to be impacted by sort of the everything needing to be available in October. And I think that this is a really good place to, to 
ponder sort of like where where is the place we come together as an industry and talk about clinical data exchange sort of holistically and not from their stakeholder seat, because I think that people are looking for additional guidance as they're going to make investments on the vendors that they're picking or the way they're platforming and storing their data to really understand sort of what do they need to do to unleash data out into the industry you know, the people that have been at it for a while, you know, sort of the folks that I get to work with on a day-to-day basis understand sort of this idea of going sort of dollar signs, everything, fire, isn't necessarily going to get us to the semantic interoperability that we want to get to, but that really this idea of getting to, you know, using the guides, using the more advanced workflow-based guides, helping us get to this point where we can get to the semantic interoperability required. So I think everyone appreciates we need to keep moving forward. I just feel like there's, even more as people understand the October deadline, some confusion in the industry about what does it really mean to be compliant and enforcement around, you know, what data is going to be bare minimum for these actors to be able to share to the industry. And I'm curious, because I know Dave's been probably having these conversations day to day over the last year or so with his customer base, how that's going, like what, what are people actually, how are they grappling with it? Yeah, so let me ask you about that, Dave. Uh, you know, with uh, your storage of information and what organizations might want to uh, to archive versus what they need to share. So, as Jocelyn brought up, we're moving from USCDI to all of EHI this fall. Uh, what do you think this means to the industry and to Harmony? It's a big move. Um, I'm used to working in a finite list, and I think our clients are like, I need a checkbox to check off that I've got 32 elements or 64 elements or whatever, however many elements are in what version of the US CDI. So the first question we get from uh, from our clients is, hey, October 6th is coming up. I've got this deadline. I need to provide data to my patients. And um, and I said, okay, so what were you doing? Let's take a look and see what you were doing in April of last year, because there, there, there was a deadline back there too to provide content based on, I believe it's US CDI version one. So what was that process like? Because I want to know if they went through a specific process. And guess what? I haven't heard not one of my clients that went through a specific process of going through version one. I don't know if we were all asleep at the wheel or what, but October 6th, USCDI or uh, the the content of EHI, the the definition of EHI has changed to everything. So my recommendation is, number one, we have to start somewhere. We have to start with a finite list. The finite list that I can apply to all my clients is let's start with USCDI version three. It is the latest list. Let's make sure you're contributing that. The next question is, well, what's next? What is everything? I can't answer that question, uh, but what I can do is I can give them guidance to go back to their legal team and their medical record team and, and say, what is your HIPAA designated record set? That that should be a place to start as well. Now, we haven't figured it out and they haven't figured it out yet, but I think that there is there's there's a fine line of, hey, let's get what we have, the minimum check boxes that we can check, which is USCDI version three. And also let's start taking a look at our HIPAA designated record set. And, and, and let's see where we can meet in, in between those. On the industry side, I have to start somewhere, and I'm starting with USCDI version 3. Um, that is where my starting point for providing content would be. And so I think that the challenge here, and I and I love the way that Dave approaches this, because we saw this on the payer side, with payer, payer uh, the patient access API deadlines that got pushed to last July, is this idea that first people need to figure out all the places they were actually storing clinical data 
And I think that often in large organizations that often have grown by acquisition or, you know, in sort of siloed sort of subject matter areas or lines of business inside their organization, that things aren't consolidated in a way that we would think would be, you know, that would be easy to get data to be able to transform it, to make it readily available, you know, sort of with the timelines that are required for some of these requests. And so that exercise, each group sort of going through that exercise is important. And I, Dave, I like the way that you're approaching it. Like, let's figure out what the minimum floor is. I think that it does beg the question to say, you know, is there a conversation we need to be having as an industry? And I'll use the parallel to patient access API again. We had a group of payers, um, part of patient access API required the sharing of all data clinical data from one payer to the next payer when a patient changed coverage. And we were in the midst of building an implementation guide inside of the DaVinci community focused on literally doing this in a codified way that would be more in line with USCBI as the core content set, but also all of sort of the provenance and sort of customization of profiling of fire resources to get a little, little technical for a second of what it really means for a payer to share clinical data to another payer or even to a provider. And uh, in the, in the, a group of the community, and I would say it wasn't just the payers, we had a couple of providers that said, you know, let's do this right, actually issued a statement out to the industry that said, hey, we want to share this data. We want to make sure that we're doing it in a codified way that it's, uh, and there's some really strong visuals that they created at this point in time. We want to make sure that the data is going to be usable and shareable going forward. If we sort of enter this blob of unstructured data into the industry that isn't formatted in a way that it's usable, that blob is now going to go across and follow that patient for their whole um, sort of time. And so essentially the industry, I think, gave CMS feedback and, and CMS has basically had held sort of the requirement for payer-to-payer implementation until I think we expect that they will recommend using um, a standard IG-based solution that will get us more akin to sort of USCDI 3 plus, you know, the the specification of how to do this for this particular use case. And and I think one of the challenges we see in the industry right now is that there isn't a similar sort of cross-functional group thinking about how this is going to happen both on the EHI side of the world, but also just in general, as we think about sort of other industry activities, like the alignment of CCBA transitioning over to FIRE, you know, as, as we think about things like TEPFA rolling out. So I think the question that we need to ask ourselves, and, and I, I'd be curious to know what you guys think is, you know, how much are we asking ourselves, you know, um, how much of the data needs to be cleansed and co- codified and how much data is it okay remains unstructured, historical, when somebody needs to dig into it and becomes available and it's okay to apply ETL and AI to it. And and I don't know that we've really grappled with that in a meaningful way as an industry versus sort of people checking the box, right, of what they need to do from a certification perspective. Yeah, Dave, please take that one on. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, I, I, I agree with you this checking the box. You know, I live in the historical archive world. So when we're archiving systems. Somebody just wants to check the box. I just need to get this done and I need to push it over. So for years, we've been checking the box or they've been checking the box. So uh, I'm going back to what the good thing is about the 21st Century's Cures Act is, wait a minute, I just don't need to check the box. I need to make sure I have structured data. I need to make sure that it is codified in some way. If it's not codified, I probably should worry a little bit about it because that data 
never goes away. So I, I've done a, uh, eventually it may go away, but I, I've done a couple of migrations where we're, um, you know, I'm on the EHR side outside of Harmony and I'm on the EHR side and we want the minimum pieces of data. And so when you're looking at the minimum pieces of data, that's fine, but uh, they may only get two years of lab results or two years worth of, of vital signs or, 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 or things like that. And um, just the 21st Century's Cures Act pushing for patient access of all their data has really changed the mindset of our clients. So now instead of, I only want one, two, three, and four pieces, you know, types of data, it's really, here's what I think I need. Can you give me a, a little bit more consulting on, uh, on making this interoperable later and may not be interoperable day one, but eventually those provisions are going to come into effect and I need to be able to query your repository, pull medications back to reconcile them, pull problems and allergies back in a format that can be reconciled into a, a you know an aggregate form that can be provided back to the patient. So those questions are new questions that we haven't gotten until probably this year. Yeah, well, that's uh, leading into the challenges of what you do and how hard it is. I would think you have clients coming to you that are, are relatively naive about this or, or others who have been down this road and made mistakes in the past. Uh, where do you see the larger challenges and why do they need a firm like yours to help them? So where do I see the challenges uh, where our clients are and when they're coming to me with this information? So the good news is some of our clients, we actually, um, they're able to uh, hand over an entire copy of the database. So we've got a team of analysts that, that knows what to look for now, that knows to make sure that we're not just picking medications, signature lines, that we're actually looking for an NDC code or an RX norm code or something like that. So with the clients that hand us the data, it's a little bit easier because we got the expertise in house to go pick it out and, and pull it out. Sometimes we don't have the choice or they don't have the choice and they get a record format, a delimited record format that is sent out. And guess what? You're looking at medication signature line that just, just has the text and no codification. Same thing with problems and allergies, things like that. So you get really good information. However, it's not codified. So the challenge is, what do we do with that? What do they, what can they do with that? Can they modify their extracts? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And that kind of leads us into this AI piece. Are there, are there industry, the industry built around, hey, I've got a medication signature and now I need to codify it somehow. Is there enough information in there that I can provide an RX norm code or an NDC code to that? So. Do you give your clients any type of uh, an audit tool or uh, some way to to codify or categorize what they have? How do you uh, how do you help them along with uh, what must be a very difficult process at their end? How we help them along is kind of what I mentioned earlier. I've got a guideline um, specifically directed, uh, you know, the directive by the 21st Century Secures Act. So let's take a look at the data elements that are in the USCDI. Now, uh, apart from that, you can take that USCDI, uh, that USCDI specification. It's great. That USCDI specification, it's great, but it's just words, right? It's just text. So how do I change that text? How do I apply that? textual definition of a data element to something really meaningful. So we've taken that USCDI spec, 
we've uh, and then we cross-referenced it as as Fire has and the, the U.S. Core Implementation Guide. So really, that specification of U.S. EDI married with the um, U.S. Core Fire Implementation for U.S. Core U.S. EDI, we've taken that and that's our directive. We say, hey, uh, let's take a look at the codification for those types of, uh, of elements. Let's make sure we try and get those from you or understand where in the database they are. Because if that does not happen, there's going to be future use cases where you move to your next EHR and that next EHR is going to have fire capabilities or and, and be able to query and retrieve data. And when you query and retrieve that data, the functionality that they build in, such as reconciliation of medications, or building an aggregate document may not work because uh, you, you don't have that data. So we, we really go through, start with USCDI, but break it down and say, oh, you know, uh, let's take a look at a CPT code for procedures. Let's make sure we have those CPT codes for procedures. Also, same thing, not just codified elements. When you look at uh, medications, for example, I need to know if that medication was just documented or that medication was actually prescribed by you. That fire specification is awesome for, for figuring out those questions. So as painful as it must be, I have been through every single element in the fire specification for U.S. Core, and it, it sounds painful, but it's really not because the specifications put together really well, and and that's where we derive our questions. That's where we derive our guidance. All right, thanks. Uh, you know, from my uh, perspective, this U.S. CDI is one of the greatest uh, advances we've had to get us all on the same page moving forward. I'm, I'm, I'm really a fan. But let's shift gears for a moment to consent. Joss, you've worked a lot with e-consent. How do you see this uh, playing out? What can we do technically? And uh, I'm hoping that Dave will want to give us his perspective on what Harmy has done here. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. We had the workshop last month with um, ONC, uh, really bringing together for the first time, I think, you know, again, creating a place, convening people to talk about this in a, in a common group with stakeholders being represented really in all of the different use cases across the care continuum and timeline of where we need to make sure we're really being um, thoughtful and strategic about uh, surfacing the abilities control and monitor and share consent, right, um, from a patient perspective beyond sort of what we do today, which is sort of we check it at the front door. And then, um, you know, we're sort of on the honor system, right, as data flows throughout the, the industry. Um, and as, as we get more to codify data and sort of less big blobs, unstructured data, the ability to control even a lower level, some of the information becomes more critically important, um, especially as we look at some of the privacy components, right, around uh, closely held information that patients wouldn't want shared, you know, beyond sort of the, the provider that's practicing in that area. So um, I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see sort of how that works. But I think we're in the, the culmination of now that the data is being freed, allowing people to start to share best practices and some of the emerging technology that is actually happening out there for real. But I am curious when we think about this archival information, you know, how does that work and, and, and where is that sort of lever um, or that permissioning happening um, as we think about sort of that, that patient data, you know, that's being archived off? Yeah, I, I'm most familiar with consent in my uh, HIE world. So um, as being part of an, a, the HIE here in Indiana for the last 17, 18 years, uh, consent was was at the top of it. E-consent was, was at the top of it. On the Harmony side, where I've got a data archive here, the expectation would be, number one, I would certainly love 
to store consent information, historical consent information. Uh, so that should probably be on the top of my list. Does it exist? I'm not exactly sure in all the systems that that, uh, that that I'll be archiving because they they probably weren't interoperable. They probably weren't on the eHealth Exchange. Maybe they were or were not. So um, the way I see the uh, e-consent working with the archive is the archive really is an ancillary system. So if we open up the archive to things like federated queries, if the organization or go forward EHR is on the eHealth Exchange. Um, they're receiving queries uh, for data. And what I'm thinking is is uh, that consent, the, the most recent consent should exist in the EHR. And then there would be the EHR's decision to federate that query, to either process that query and then federate that query down to the archive. And that federation only works again as, as, as long as we have all of that data, the discrete data, as much as we can uh, stored in the archive. So. Yeah, and I think I see this, Ken, um, as we go into sort of these detailed conversations about specific scenarios and how the data is going to be retrieved, is I think what we live in is a world of best practices today. And what we really need to do as we look at scaling and really this becoming a reality sort of across platforms um, and patients being more and more empowered to retrieve the information with their app of their choice is, is a need for us to, I think, have more solidified, you know, uh, rules of the road as this happens more holistically um, as opposed to sort of individual ecosystems. But but I think that one of the things we heard in the day-long session that we did with ONC was, you know, as much as we want holistic solutions, really what is happening today is something that works for the specific situation with the specific stakeholders and those decisions really being made locally today to the best practices of a particular community. So I think we've got our work cut out for us figuring out how we're going to do this more broadly across the industry. And, and Jocelyn, one more thing that you had mentioned is the segmentation of data for privacy. I mean, that is something that the industry has been really wanting to do for the longest time. That that I don't know, um, data, the DS4P specification. So when we're living in the HL7 world and you're, you're transmitting a, a CDA or when we're living in the CDA world and you're transmitting a CDA document, there's certain things that you can do in that document or, or to, to, to share or not share. Uh, so you're looking at really making sure that data is stored properly so you can apply segmentation at a more granular level. Yes, I want to share allergies. Yes, I want to share medications. No, I don't want to share problems. Really putting that decision in the patient's hands. And I, I, I think it's a great specification and, 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 and great thought behind it. I, I, I think uh, hopefully eventually that'll come to fruition. How uh, we actually make it work right for real yeah. in industry. Yeah. Ken, if you don't mind, I would love to segue to the other conversation that we had during prep, which was this idea of what does that convergence of, you know, I think that, that people have really thought about, oh, fire is going to replace everything to date. And, you know, as part of our sort of um, prep, and I think more and more in the industry, we're having this conversation about and, right, how, are, how is CCDA going to continue to exist? You know, we, we very rarely turn capabilities off and walk away from investments, and there's been significant investment there. How does that, I'd love to hear Dave's thoughts on sort of how that coexists and, and evolves with this incremental move of us to APIs and FIRE. So as much as I've been talking about FIRE, I don't have anybody yet with FIRE capabilities coming to query and retrieve data for me uh, from me. What I do have 
which is a little bit outside of the archive. What I do have is that clients that are on the eHealth Exchange or part of Commonwealth, and they're familiar with exchanging data uh, and uh, via those networks. And what they're doing is they're exchanging data in HL7 CDA format. So they put a lot of work into that, not only to generate those, but also to receive those consume those, reconcile pieces of data in them. So from the archive side, I would love to go to a pure fire world. That's not going to happen because uh, that, that's not going to happen January 1st of 2023. Uh, what what can happen January, January 1st, 2023 is, is guess what? You make a, a request for a document, a CDA document. You request that CDA document over fire. I can return that to you because that's something that you're used to consuming. You know what to do with that. Maybe you have to build in the fire capability to, to query and, and, and retrieve it, but once you've got the format back, that's kind of a known thing that you've been doing for a couple of years now is consuming a CDA document. So that's really on the first of my list when I'm building fire capabilities is uh, let's see what folks are doing now. We certainly want to do all the fire transactions that are in the U.S. Corps implementation guide for fire. We want to do all of those. But I know today that they can handle a CDA document because I'm sending CDA documents and other methods right now. So let's make sure that that's available day one. You know, I've still got some CDs in my closet <laughs> and I probably still have a couple of the three inch guys, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> Dave, as we get to the end of this podcast, an opportunity for you to get up on a soapbox, give your industry ask, what would you like to see from the industry? Well, I know it sounds like a cliche, but <laughs> interoperability is a journey and not a destination. If you heard me say this before, we're not going to be all fixed January 1st, 2023, or all fixed on October 6th of 2022 this year. What I mean by that is we're, we're not going to solve, interoperability is not solved with just fire, as you had mentioned before, Jocelyn. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of fire integrations running smoothly before we get to this place. And the one thing I would like to say is if you're storing data, if you're receiving data, there are some great models and some some great implementations that came way before fire. I would certainly use fire. But if I'm storing data, let's take a look and see how it was done in HL7 version two. Let's take a look how see it was done in uh, the HL7 CDA specification. And now let's take a look at fire. Put all of those together. Now, fire has done a lot of that work for you, but there's a couple of things that that may not totally fit there, but take a look at all, how all of those specifications have transmitted data, have documented their specifications and what terminology is used, et cetera. And when you're storing data, let's make sure that any format that you create, you can create out of a well-formed database and, and, and or data model that's built on these specifications. So that's what I would say is, is Use these specifications as a guide. They're not not all of them are data models. Fire is not a, a data model, but it's a really good specification that uh, you can use when you're storing data. And once you store that data correctly, you could you could produce CDA formats out of it pretty easily, or fire transactions, or HL7 version two transactions out of that if you need to. Okay, great. I want to thank my Point of Care Partners co-host and Interop expert, Jocelyn Keegan, and thank our knowledgeable guest, Dave Navarro from Harmony Health IT. Friendly reminder to new listeners to our podcast that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to pick up your podcasts. 
including Healthcare Now Radio and the podcast channel. We'll hope you leave us a positive review if you find our podcast informative. Uh, videos of our podcast episodes, uh, sometimes longer versions, are also on the Point of Care Partners YouTube channel. And don't forget, especially as we transition from summer to colder temperatures, health IT is a dish best served hot. <laughs> is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at POCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 